We are uh, glad to have such a lively live audience here this morning at Columbia State. Uh, so thankful for Columbia State's uh, generosity in letting us host our event here on their beautiful campus. And uh, we uh, also appreciate uh, the uh, listening audience on WKM and the audience on uh, WCTV that uh, we see on Comcast Channel 3. So we hope uh, you all will enjoy the show this morning. It is certainly an interesting session that our gentlemen here are having in Nashville. And uh, we've got people here on both sides of many issues. And so it should be a lively discussion. We look forward to it. Our panelists this morning are Senator Jack Johnson. He's our Senate Majority Leader and the representative for Senate District 23, 27, they changed it on me. And, you know, it's been five months, I think, since we've had a policy talk show because of the winter break we take and, the, and then the weather last month. So I'm fuzzy on the details. Uh, Sam Whitson is our representative representing uh, the 65th District State Representative. And Jake McCalman is representing the 63rd uh, State Representative District. Uh, Gino Bulzo is not able to be with us this morning. He had a previous engagement. And Todd Warner texted early, early this morning and said he'd been up all night sick and <laughs> decided he would probably be better off uh, staying home in bed. So we wish they could be here. Uh, Senator Joy Hensley, uh, also representing the lower end of our county, um, He's from Hohenwald, which is a pretty good haul from here, but uh, he also had an event in Murray County this morning. So we've, uh, we're have thrilled to have with us uh, these uh, three gentlemen, and we look forward to uh, a lot of discussion. I told uh, Sam we could spend the entire uh, hour on vouchers if they want to, but uh, they voted against that for some reason. Uh, <laughs> So uh, what I'd like to do this morning is start off and let each one of you give us your top two or three priorities for this session, uh, for or against. Uh, what do you think are the three most important issues that you either need to pass or defeat? Jack, if you would start us off, uh, can you narrow it down to three? Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Thanks, Dave. It's good to be back with you again. Uh, there are a lot of issues. It is hard to narrow it down to just, just two or three, but anytime I'm asked that question about what we're doing up at the Capitol, I always start with the budget. It's the most important thing that we do is decide how to spend your tax dollars. Uh, it's actually our only constitutional requirement. We could literally convene, pass one bill, and go home, and we would have satisfied our constitutional responsibilities. And uh, that is the budget that we have to pass. And of course, in Tennessee, we, uh, we're constitutionally required to pass a balanced budget, and we do that every year, truthfully balanced, not with monkey business going on. Um, unlike the federal government, we, we actually balance our budget every year. Uh, Tennessee continues to be the strongest fiscally managed state in America. Um, we're one of a handful of states that are AAA rated by all three rating agencies. Um, 
We have the largest amount we've ever had in our rainy day fund, just over $2 billion. We have a statutory goal that we try to achieve in terms of reserves that we have set aside. And again, we call it a rainy day fund for that time when maybe things are not quite as prosperous as they've been here recently. And uh, so our rainy day fund is very, very strong. Our, um, our pension plan in Tennessee is fully funded. That's where a lot of states really get in trouble. It's not just their operational budget. It's the fact that they've made commitments to people out generations into the future in terms of pension liabilities, and they don't have the money to pay it. And there are a number of states that have made promises that they just will never be able to keep. We've not done that in Tennessee. Our pension plan is fully funded. Uh, we do have an issue this year. Uh, you may have read a little bit about it in the news relative to our franchise tax, and that is certainly relative to the budget, one of our biggest priorities that we're going to have to address. There's a Supreme Court case that came down a few years ago from the state of Maryland. It came down from the United States Supreme Court relative to how they assess their franchise tax. The Commerce Clause in the United States Constitution has language about uh, uniform taxation, if you will, between states. You cannot treat a business in another state differently than you do a state that is domiciled in your state. And we feel like we do that. We've always felt like we were compliant with that uh, provision of the Commerce Clause. Uh, our franchise tax has been on the books since 1935. It's a 90-year-old statute that's been on the books. Uh, but last fall, um, we were approached by a handful of companies that said, we don't think you're actually complying. And uh, so we've taken a look. The Attorney General, our tax folks, and our Department of Revenue have done a deep dive into this. And the governor has proposed, and I support uh, making some revisions to that tax and how it is assessed, how it is applied um, moving forward. And that'll be about a $400 million tax cut uh, to businesses, small and large, all across the state. We like tax cuts in Tennessee. It'll make us even more competitive from a business standpoint, but it is going to affect our, our revenues. But we're in a very strong position where we can absorb that. Furthermore, the governor has proposed that we set aside a fairly significant amount of money because uh, according to current statute, uh, if we have improperly or unfairly uh, assessed a tax, we have a three-year look back. We have a three-year statute of limitations. And so the governor is proposing that we set aside some money so that companies, if they feel like they were improperly assessed that tax, be able to, to uh, ask for a refund. So that's that's a big issue. Um, and it's, it's good and it's bad. Um, but the good news is Tennessee is in a very, very strong position to be able to handle a situation like that. So that's that's a big issue, and, and it's it's important. <laughs> that's that's one. I'll, I'll do one other. Uh, you, you made a joke about vouchers. There's no voucher proposal. The governor has proposed education freedom scholarships for uh, for kids to be able to, uh, for parents to be able to make decisions for their children that are best. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But on the broader scope of education, um, you know, we have done so much um, in, in the General Assembly over the last five to 10 years, about $3.6 billion in additional funding for K-12 education. I think that comes to a 46% increase in K-12 public education funding. Uh, obviously, we completely revised our education funding formula. Um, we've done accountability, making sure that our third graders can read. We've created summer camps and summer programs and provided resources for tutoring to be able to make sure that these children are, are uh, able to matriculate from third to fourth grade and on up and, and be able to read. 
So you will hear a lot of conversation about education. Uh, yes, there isn't a Freedom Scholarship proposal out there. That's a very small part of what we deal with overall with regards to education, but I fully support all of that. Uh, and then the final thing is, and, and I'm, I'm going on too long, but uh, we, <laughs> we, <laughs> thanks Sam. Still going to try to get you to run again. So, um, we uh, we uh, we have a crime problem, and uh, specifically in in Shelby County in Memphis. And I've been spending quite a bit of time down there with other members of leadership. Memphis is such a wonderful, beautiful, incredible city, and and it's it's got so many rich cultural assets. And my good friend Senator Brent Taylor has made the comment. He's really taken the lead. He's a newly elected senator from Shelby County about working with the state and the local folks. I had. Mayor Young, the new mayor of Memphis, in my office the other day. He's a great guy, uh, and he's very committed to trying to fix that problem. But Tennessee cannot reach its full potential if Memphis does not reach its full potential. So you're going to see us talking a lot about Memphis. Sam, same question. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you, Dave, and good, good morning. I see a lot of good friends out here. And, and this is going to be the part of uh, retiring that I'm going to miss, the interaction with so many folks over the years that I have just – relied on and trusted and and been great advisors and friends and um, guys y'all and ladies just y'all been incredible and Dave thank you for this opportunity for this forum to explain what we're trying to do so and I know you're giving to me this but no, I just want to okay. thank you for, <laughs> but he, for participating every but, time but I'm on finance ways and means full and sub and Jack is exactly right about this F&E tax issue that we have to, to attack you may hear different things about it always oh, a tax cut for the the businesses but this this could cost us long term if we do not get this right for the state of Tennessee and we're in a position now to fix that uh, the legislation that I'm working on uh, again we're limited to 15 bills uh, Jake and I uh, on the house side uh, Jack has to carry all the bills for the governor and the administration and so uh, they have a lot more challenges on that but I have some bills dealing with uh, uh, elections, local elections, uh, my concern about the direction we're going. I'm also working with the Sexual Assault Center on helping victims of uh, rape and uh, violent crime to make sure that they get their day in court because of the delay in processing evidence and, uh, and doing investigations. And also I've been working with Covenant families over the year. I met with the parents of ch uh, the parents who have lost children and parents who had children there. And it's been an incredible um, experience for me firsthand and I just want to make sure we do right uh, for the children of the state of Tennessee as we go forward common sense uh, I think uh, I think we're all looking for what really works and uh, and the other one uh, bill that I'm working on you know we had had great success over the year uh, with 10 care as far as the Katie Beckett program has changed lives the shared savings account how we got a waiver from the federal government how we can process and handle our uh, ins health insurance for the working poor but we can there's another step that I want to take and I'm going to be working on it and it's to repeal what the 2014 Kelsey Durham bill. Uh, Senator Kelsey and Representative Durham passed a bill in 2014 that prohibits the governor from negotiating a, a deal with the federal government on uh, 
uh, TenCare uh, health insurance for the working poor. I think uh, we need to look at maybe, I'm not saying how we're going to do it or we're going to spend Medicaid, but I think we should give the governor the authority to come back to the General Assembly with the plan that we fund. And so I'm working to repeal the uh, Kelsey Durham bill of 2014. Your priorities. Yep. So, um, when I initially ran in 2022, I didn't run to fundamentally change uh, this state. I think we've got the best state in the union to work, raise a family, and uh, I fully expect to grow old and retire here. Um, you know, that being said, I want to make sure we have a, a Tennessee where my kids want to stay and grow up and raise their families here. Um, my focus this year has kind of taken a turn towards human trafficking and crimes against kids. Um, you know, with human trafficking, that ties to the, the issues we do have at the southern border right now. Um, every state has become a border state. And I've got, got a resolution on the floor on Monday night that is going to be speaking to that. Um, on the human trafficking issue, I've got one bill that I'm proud of. I'm working with the Tennessee Faith and Freedom Coalition on it uh, to extend the statute of limitations for victims of human trafficking from a 10-year period to a 30-year period after their 18th birthday because oftentimes a lot of these a lot of these victims don't ever deal with this trauma for decades after it's happened. And um, I fully think that they should be able to go back and, and get some recompense from these monsters that committed those atrocities. Um, particularly on the human trafficking issue as well, I've got a resolution that's urging us, us to work with neighboring states and neighboring AGs to, uh, to create a network to track this activity. And I've got, I've got three daughters and it terrifies me that this could potentially happen, uh, happen to them. So that's kind of been my focus um, this year, so. That's on your plate this year and uh, I just uh, appreciate you kind of giving us a flavor of the focus that you all have. Um, education is probably, to most of us, uh, maybe the most important uh, issue that uh, the state directs uh, resources to and from and that sort of thing. And there are several issues regarding education that are on the agenda this year. And of course, the one that the media and 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 probably generates the most um, emotional responses is this, uh, as it's commonly known as, is the voucher proposal, as Jack called it, the education scholarship uh, program. Uh, I think I have studied this issue to where I can argue either side of it pretty good. So uh, I'm going to take both sides here a little bit this, with you this morning because, Jack, you're clearly in favor of it. Jo uh, Sam, you're opposed to it. Jake, you are uh, – I don't know which side you're on, but uh, you want to – yeah, so I've been an advocate from, for school choice from day one. Um, I've campaigned on it. I believe in it. Um, you know, I, I've got three kids in Williamson County Public Schools, and should a this, this Freedom Scholarship Program pass, I'm going to make the choice as, my, as a parent to keep my kids where they're at because I see no reason to pull them out, but it's my choice. I still feel like the middle child my whole life, and I was, okay? <laughs> I was the middle child of three boys. Okay, here I am again, okay? Wait. We want you to feel right at home, Sam. <laughs> the, uh, a couple of things about it. One, it's $141 million out of a $52 billion budget, as I understand it. Um, it 
fund is $7,000 per student, um, and it's limited next year to 20,000 students, 10,000 of them uh, to families that make less than $90,000 a year. Am I pretty much on target there? The, um, the question I had, and, I, and I've already had this answer, but um, I think it's unclear, is okay, after 2024, 20, 25, there are no limits on how many scholarships can be awarded, uh, it appears. But there is some limit. Jack, you want to explain sure. how that's... Yeah, so this fundamental premise we have in our, our Constitution, you cannot bind a future General Assembly, uh, meaning anything we do now, we cannot pass a law that prohibits a future General Assembly from doing anything. The only way you do that is to amend the Constitution. And we've done that in a couple of instances. You know, we amended the Constitution to say Tennessee will have no state income tax. And so if a future General Assembly decided they wanted a state income tax, they couldn't pass that statutorily because the Constitution prohibits it, right? So the only way you limit the ability of a future General Assembly to do anything is to amend the, the Constitution. Um, so the, what the governor's proposed, and we actually got the language yesterday, um, and it's been filed with the committee, it's, it's fairly simple. Uh, he is proposing 20,000 Freedom Scholarships statewide um, in the amount of just over $7,000 a piece. And the way we arrived, the governor arrived at that number, is if you think about, well, let me back up for a second. And, you know, public education is a partnership between the state and then the local district. You know, all 95 counties have school systems. The, the county commission funds those school systems, and there's a school board that runs the operation of those. But we do have special school districts like Franklin Special that are their own taxing authority. And we have some city school systems that have taxing authority. So not to get into the weeds too much about that, but if you take the average appropriation of what the state contributes to educate a child, and you average that all across the state, it's about $7,000 per student. Um, just over that. Now that varies, and you've heard me say many, many times in this forum and others that I feel like Williamson County gets a raw deal <laughs> from the state because the way the formula is calculated, uh, they look at things like your, your property tax base and, and other factors. Williams County is a very affluent, wealthy county, and we get penalized for that. So we get less money from the state to educate each child. Uh, I think, and I see some of my com county commissioner friends and school board friends out there, I believe it's around $4,200 per student that the state gets. But, the, but Williamson County is spending over $12,000 per child. So the difference comes from the local government. It comes from the, from the county commission. In the case of Franklin's special school district, they are their own taxing authority. Anyway, if you average what the state contributes all across the state, it's about $7,000 per child. So what the governor's proposing is a uh, 20,000 scholarships across the state. And let me stop there for a minute and say there are roughly 1 million kids in, in K-12 age uh, in, in the state of Tennessee. So there's 1 million kids in kindergarten through 12th grade across the state. Roughly 85% of those attend a public school. About 15% attend either a private school or they are homeschooled, and, and, and many of those are in a homeschool cooperative. So put it into perspective. So the governor's proposing 20,000 scholarships. That's 2% of the kids that are in K-12 school all across the state. So it's a relatively small number of scholarships, but it will be very meaningful to those families who feel like they need some type of educational alternative. To your question, 
that's what the governor's proposing. That's what the governor's proposed funding in the budget, period, end of story. Now, the governor has stated he would like to see that program expand over time and be able to offer more of these scholarships as we continue to do everything we can to make our public schools the best that they can be. But the proposal is for 20,000 scholarships, period. He can't say uh, that a future General Assembly is required to expand that. It would be subject to appropriation. That's the language that we use. We're dealing with the 24-25 fiscal year budget. That's what he's proposed. You're right, the number comes to about $140 million to fund those scholarships. It would be up to the next General Assembly and future General Assemblies to decide if they wish to expand that. We're gonna have this debate next year and the next and the next. And well, the we may not. We may, we'll see what the utilization rate is and we'll see what the success rate is. You know, the, the ESA program that we passed in 2019 <clears throat> was litigated, it was tied up in court. Uh, it's really just went into full implementation this year, but we're seeing some great success from that program. That is limited to Davidson, Shelby, and Hamilton County. This new proposal is, is separate and apart from that proposal from 2019. You're seeing success from the previous program. How do you how do you define that? Uh, parental satisfaction. Parents saying that they got their kid into a better school environment that's better for their learning needs. Now that program allowed, I think, up to ten thousand. Seventy five hundred. Seventy five hundred, and there's only twenty four hundred. I understand that are participating. Why is there not more participation? Do you know? Well, again, it, it was just able to go into full implementation for, for this current current school year because it was it was tied up in court. Um, so in the application process and you know go, going through all of those steps, but and and we fully anticipated when we passed that one that it would take probably a few academic school years for it to reach full utilization. And and this twenty thousand might very well do the same thing. We'd have to see. 20,000 is in addition to the 7,500 that are already. That is correct. The, uh, uh, well, I had a really good question on the tip of my tongue. But uh, somewhere it, uh, it, it escaped me. The, uh, uh, the concern, of course, and again, I can argue both sides of this, I think, pretty good. But our public school systems are paranoid that all of a sudden they're gonna lose a lot of students. And as I understand the funding formula that you all passed last year, the schools get $7,000 per kid from the state or, or whatever it is that follows the kid. So if those kids drop out of public schools, go to private because of this, the public schools will lose that portion of the funding. Is that correct? That you, you will lose whatever you currently receive from the state. So in the case of Williamson County, it would be the $4,200 that is appropriated to the state. Again, we're spending just somewhere something somewhere between twelve dollars and $13,000 a year to educate a child in Williamson County. If, it, if, if a Williamson County family chooses to utilize one of these scholarships and a child leaves Williamson County Public Schools to go to a private school, Williams County will lose $4,200, but they keep the $8,000 plus that they're already appropriating. We know how many students in Williamson County are now in public or in private schools and homeschooled. What? How much is it? Forty-two thousand in public schools. He, do you know how many are in private or homeschool? Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't know that number. Yeah, my and. This is a pure speculation, and it's a Dave Crouch uh, speculation, so take it for what it's worth. But my 
I would suspect then that these few thousand kids that are already in pub, uh, private schools and, and being homeschools will apply for these scholarships just to fund what they're already paying for. And that the public schools are probably not gonna lose a lot of students as a result of that. Um, Sam, is that a fair assessment? Yes, and I'd just like to say, we have not seen all the details on the House side. It should be, we should be getting it pretty soon. There's a proposal, the governor, governor's proposal. Uh, Senator Lundberg has come up with another amendment, another way. So this thing is really a moving target right now, and it's hard to say what the final results will be. So, but, it, you know, from the very beginning when I first ran, I, I've been a big advocate of our public schools. And and what you bring up is true. The money will follow the student out of the public schools, the 4,300. But our public schools here will still be responsible for making sure that school bus runs that same route, whether it has three kids or 20 kids. They still have to maintain the cafeteria. They still have to maintain the facilities. They still have to provide the SROs. So they will be doing it with less money so that we can say that for certainty. Also, uh, my concern is- if, if students choose to go the private route. Right, and, and, and again, it, it's a great incentive, that $7,000 to start your own homeschool or your own you know, private school. Uh, or to send, you know, help supplement to send kids to a really good private school that we have here. We have the best private schools probably in, in the state here in Williamson County. Um, the accountability part I'm very concerned about. Uh, you know, to me, uh, I learned with my kids, they can be dependent or independent. If they're dependent when I buy them a car, I put the rules on how they operate the car and the accountability, okay? If they want to buy their own car, you do what you want to with it. I, I am concerned about the accountability part. But also there's another part that I'm very concerned about, and we saw it in Blount County in the most recent uh, House election. There's a lot of money behind candidates that are supporting vouchers and charter schools. Money that comes out outside the state of Tennessee uh, to to make sure that they get the advocates that they want in the General Assembly. I am concerned about that dark money coming into our state. But also, you know, we had a great experience this past year. We got to watch at Page High School a, a fall of high school football. And what a public school does for our community is unbelievable. It adds a a cohesiveness that brings the community together. I am worried that we are going to get further and further apart if we start building these silos with tax money. Um, and again, I'm not saying in Memphis, in Shelby County, or Shelby County, Davidson County, it can change a life for a kid stuck in a bad school, okay? And I, I, and I get that. But Guys, we have the best public schools in the state, probably the nation. And uh, again, that's just where I am on it. I can respect people on the other side of it, but it'll be discussion that we'll be uh, working with uh, the rest of this General Assembly. Your comments? Yeah, um, I was at a, another event the other night, and I said I don't believe that uh, being pro-public schools and pro-school choice are mutually exclusive. Uh, like I said, I mean, if, if this passes, I'm still going to make the choice to keep my kids at, at the school that they're at. I've, they're at my daughter's at Page High. Thank, I am very proud of uh, the classes that she's taking and the teachers that she's gotten. 
Um, I think that, and to echo Sam's point, we do have some of the greatest schools, if not the greatest public schools in the state of Tennessee. Um, you know, I do believe that that tax dollars should should follow. And if I'm not mistaken, even if if they, without a freedom scholarship right now, without that that state money uh, being able to be applied to a private school, if that child today leaves. Page. If I pull my kids out of page today, they're still going to lose that state money. Um, so, I mean, there's, that's that's not a, a nuance uh, within this program. So, uh, you know, I look forward to a, a healthy and robust conversation. Uh, I unfortunately am not in the committee that is going to be heard in on Tuesday. Uh, I will absolutely be keeping tabs on it, but um, I look forward to discussion on it. Jack, one more question: the scholarships are going to be prioritized to certain families. Uh, explain how that will work again, uh, sure. the way it's been proposed. So you, you touched on this earlier, and you were exactly right. That what the governor's proposing, and, and let me echo something Sam said, because he's, he's spot on. You know, this, this is a big idea. It's, it's something new. Uh, it's innovative. Um, it's, it's going to take on a lot of different forms. And uh, the way the process works is we had a caption bill. We have an amendment that has been brought to us by the administration. That is the governor's proposal, um, and that amendment has been filed. That's kind of the starting place, if you will, and so that will be filed in the House Committee, it'll be filed in the Senate Committee, and then each chamber will go through on its own track. And there are a lot of ideas that are being bounced around. The House is looking, I was at an event with Speaker Sexton yesterday, he and I were speaking to a group, and. Uh, and he touched on some of the ideas they're looking at. And I think that most people in this room, regardless of your position on the, the Education Freedom Scholarships, would, would be supportive of granting more flexibility to high-performing school districts. And certainly Williamson County and Franklin Special School Systems are both high-performing. I passed a bill back several years ago called the High-Performing Schools Act that, that eliminated certain bureaucratic requirements on districts that met certain metrics, so graduation rates, composite ACT scores, um, uh, uh, standardized testing results, and so forth. And so we were able to remove some of the things that are required on other school districts because these districts don't need them. And it's something that Speaker Sexton spoke, spoke to yesterday is, you know, if you run a business and you've got 10 employees and five of them are doing a bang up job and two or three are struggling and one or two are not showing up, you know, you're, you're not gonna necessarily treat them all the same. And we shouldn't do that with our school systems either. So the House is looking at a number of different ideas. Uh, the Senate is as well. Uh, Sam touched on the accountability piece. Uh, that's something that's very important to my Senate education chairman. And, and so he has an amendment that he's circulating that, that provides for some, it's flexible, but some degree of accountability to it. So that, that process is going to you know, take its own path in each chamber. And that happens with lots of legislation. And we'll end up at the end of the day, we have to start in the same place, we have to end at the same place in order for it to pass. And that's why we have message calendars, it's why we have conference committees and, and those types of things. So a uh, lot, lot to be discussed. And I wanna thank all of our local folks here because we, we talk fairly frequently. Um, I, I try to speak with David Snowden and Jason Golden pretty, pretty regularly uh, about it, in addition to some of our school board members, because uh, I want their thoughts and their feedback on it. 
and an example was the Improve Act. Remember when that oh, came yeah. out, how that changed went through so many variations. But what I am concerned about, though, is the final bill comes out, and it and in the final bill in one big package where you vote for it or not, it would have the incentives for our local schools, our public schools, like teacher pay raises. So then you'll be put in a position: do you support vouchers or or and then or don't? And then the teacher pay raise components in there. So I hope it is separated so we can make those decisions and make those votes uh, on really, to me, entirely different subjects. Uh, I was just thinking I needed a music uh, thing so that when I'm ready for those guys to move on to a different subject, Musical I interlude. Play, play the music. Thank you, whoever that was. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, there, there's several other issues that are obviously very important or they wouldn't be in front of the state legislature. But one of them, uh, Sam, you are carrying a bill to address the issue of caucuses versus uh, local primaries in, in our local elections. And I don't know exactly what the scope of that bill is, but tell us what's going on there and what it means specifically for Williamson County. Well, there's two bills, and I have not filed them, or excuse me, they'll be on the calendar soon. And they'll, uh, one of them has to do uh, that for county offices, uh, instead of doing a caucus selection of a few folks making a decision who runs uh, for county mayor or county commissioner or the school board, that it's done, you have to do a primary rather than having a, a caucus make that decision. The way we've done it forever. A primary, yes, yes. And I think that increases the opportunity for citizens to be involved in our elections. Uh, a conservative radio host recently uh, commented that uh, that some part our party is putting so many restrictions on to quali who qualifies to run that it's become elitist and we should trust the people and I uh, really appreciated his comments on that. I think it supports what we're trying to do. And the other one that I have, and these are going to be tough to get out of this committee, first of all, I want to tell you, it, it, it will be a miracle, I think. And that's to do away with this partisan school board elections. We have just come down to a place here where we have so few people qualified to run on our side of the party. I think it's less than 2% of the voting public that uh, we are excluding people that want to have a say in their kids' education. So uh, my bill would do, uh, we passed this bill, it was a close vote a few years ago, uh, partisan school board elections. I think that's been one of the worst bills that we've ever passed out of the General Assembly. It, it just really cuts down on uh, participation of parents and people who are concerned about our public education. And the other one is to require primary elections. There's no cost to that bill. Uh, we, uh, you, are paying for these primaries now, and you will continue to pay, uh, no difference. But if, uh, it, and if we try to do a caucus uh, selection in our county, it could cost our party hundreds of thousands of dollars to put that on because uh, we just have no idea how many people will show up, uh, security, the process. So it's just to get us back to simpler, simpler times. Anybody want to comment on how Murray County's elections over the last few years have changed as a result of that process being changed? I can ask Rogers Anderson back here. He can probably tell us if y'all don't. Uh, yeah, I would defer to the mayor, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Rogers, uh, stand up, please. <laughs> Uh, 
All right. Now, and I'll characterize it as, as best I can, and you correct me where I need correcting, but um, several years ago, there was a very popular county mayor in, in Murray County that um, was displaced by a fellow by the name of Andy Gogles because they suddenly decided to have caucuses instead of a primary election for those county offices. And the small group that showed up for the caucus chose Andy Ogles as mayor, who is now our congressman. And we could probably all give him some political advice this week because he's stirring things up up there. But how would that affect Williamson County if something like that happened here? Well, the first thing, I think you ought to leave it the way it was. Okay. And uh, I like the idea of the, letting the people decide how they want to, who they want to have in office, if it's Jack or Sam, um, any of the local officials. You know, if, if you're um, make the grade for the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, put your name out there and let the folks vote you in or out. A few folks that make a decision whether I can run or not is, in my opinion, is not a healthy democracy. And uh, I'm all about letting the folks decide. The same thing, you, you look on this, if, if you don't mind me digressing a little, get off the hot seat you put me on. I'll take the mic away. You know, you, you talk about school choice, and I go out here, or education freedom that they've labeled it that in at the end of the day is probably not going to hurt Williamson County because we're going to figure out how to handle it. The issue that I have and nobody's talking about it is what about that child that decides to come over from the borderlines on Davidson County or Rutherford County to come into Williamson County and they send over $7,000. That's as Jack said, that's the number. Is that is it going to follow us, that kid from Rutherford County? We're already, our schools are not open zoned. Some of the schools are packed, Page, Some of the others aren't. $7,000 won't do it. And so you're going to have to recalculate and reformulate that program if you if you decide to um, bring in that county school system. We're running short on time. So. I'm finished. Good. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Rogers. Um, any response from the panel? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll chime in, and, and Mayor, I, I couldn't agree with you more uh, on, on that particular issue. Um, school districts now have the flexibility to allow people across county lines or district lines to come in. You see this more in, say, a Shelby County, where they have these a bunch of different city schools, and then there's a county school system, and there is flexibility under current law for districts to allow children to come in. And, and by the way, there, there are some rural counties, they welcome those kids coming in. They're, they're, they have capacity issues. They, I mean, they have excess capacity. And so they're in a situation to where if a, if a family wants to, lives right on the county line or for mom and dad work in the neighboring county and they want their kid in that other county school system, uh, we want to make sure that counties have the flexibility to, to, to do that if they choose to do so. And, and most of them charge tuition, you know, and, and that's allowed under statute. Um, uh, but what we have to maintain is something that you've touched on, Mayor, is the ability of the local district 
to accept or not accept those kids coming in. It needs to be a decision of the local district. Um, if, if, if you're a small rural county and you're at 60% capacity and it makes sense for you to add student population, you should be able to make that decision at the local level. But if you're full or the money doesn't make sense or if there's a scholarship that's traveling with that, with that family or that student, that needs to be up to the local government. And so I will certainly do everything I can to make sure that, that our folks here at the local level can make that decision if they want to accept those kids. In fact, I think there's one county that has only like 43 third graders in the entire county. Think about that. Yeah. Um, going back to the primary versus caucus uh, issue just a little bit, uh, this may be my last show because so, I'm fixing to step out there a little little beyond maybe the red line. But um, what, what you're talking about is, and, and it sounds like there's a movement, maybe even within this county, to do away with primaries for local elections. The primary in Williamson County is the election. In other words, whoever wins the Republican primary is going to be generally the uh, office holder at the end of the day. So if we do away with primaries in this county, we're, we're turning the, cho the choice of our public officials over to a, what, 10-person executive committee or something with the Republican Party who has already uh, disallowed uh, two of the most prominent Republicans I know in this county, didn't let them vote in the last uh, caucus for executive committee. So, And Dave, that's part of my concern too. But the other side of that too, in Davidson County, on partisan school boards, you will never see a Republican or a conservative yeah. candidate uh, back on that school board. So uh, it, it works both ways. Uh, Pardon my editorializing there, but um, it it concerns me, and and I wanted to make sure we tried to uh, have our audience understand what the real issues here are and and how they might affect us. Several other school related issues, school safety courses have been a big subject of discussion because of the Covenant uh, incident a couple of years ago. Um, we, as I. As far as I can tell, the fire alarm uh, bill is the only thing on the agenda this year that's addressing school safety. Is there something I'm missing? Gentlemen? Well, there there are 2,000 bills filed out there, and, and school safety has been a top priority for us for, for a long time. So, no, I think there will be other things that are that are discussed. As you know, we appropriated a, a significant amount of money to make sure we could have a school resource officer in every school. We're blessed here in Williamson County that we've had that for, for a, a long time, thanks to our county commission, our sheriff's department, making that happen. Uh, there's some your more rural, uh, poor districts that have not had the resources in order to make that happen. Uh, so we're certainly helping with that. We've also set aside money for, for hardening of facilities and, and that type of thing. So a lot of conversations, and, and there may not be a big high-profile bill, but a lot of what we've done, we want to get the feedback back from the districts relative to what we've done. Are they able to get these SROs hired and trained, and, and how is it working in terms of strengthening the security at those schools? So a lot of conversation, and I think you, you probably will end up seeing some legislation, um, but we're still far, fairly early in the process. Grade retention, any 
what's the conversations going on about uh, retaining fourth graders that can't read to a certain level? Sam, you look like you know something about that. No, I, actually, I don't. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I made it out of the fourth grade fine, uh, Dave. <laughs> it was fifth grade. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, uh, again, uh, the information came out recently uh, on that. I'm not on education committee, so I have not – my focus has been on budget hearings and uh, transportation this year so far. But we will get into that, Dave, and thank you for putting me on the spot for that. You're welcome. I'm, I like to do that. Uh, Jake, social media. I understand you're uh, proposing some leg legislation along that line sure. requiring parental consent before a minor can uh, get on Facebook or whatever, Instagram, whatever their choice, TikTok. Uh, However many there are nowadays. How do you define that? How do you monitor it? How do you enforce it? Well, so that was a, that's actually an administration bill that was brought to me by the governor. One other question. Isn't that a federal issue, maybe not a state issue? Well, I, I don't think it is. Um, I think that our job as, as the Tennessee General Assembly is to look out for Tennesseans. Um, I, I, especially nowadays, I don't think that we should be overly reliant on a federal government that doesn't seem interested in, in, uh, in what we are interested here in this state. So as far as the social media goes, I mean, I've got, again, I've got three kids. Um, I'm very, very particular about what they are able to see and what they're able to access and, and what, uh, you know, and, and they know if I say, hey, let me see your tablet, let me, you know, that's, that's not the case for everybody. Um, social media has shown to be very harmful for uh, adolescents. Uh, there's some uh, some studies that the U.S. Department of Health put out uh, studies that talk about depression and anxiety and uh, within kids under the age of 18. So it, it's a it's a bill that says it's not prohibiting kids from being able to access it. It's just the same thing as if. Uh, Hey, it's parental involvement saying you need to have your mom and dad's mom or dad's consent to be able to have this account. Now that has been, we're looking at some amendatory language because as it sits right now, it's it's overly broad. Um, but at the the same token, it, the the intention is to make sure that our kids are being protected from what they are going to be exposed to in social media. Um. Wish Gino Bolso could have made it this morning. He's got a bill out there regarding pride flags and so forth in schools. Um, I think uh, Joey Hensley had some really good questions uh, at a recent school board meeting or school board session with with you guys. So we'll get more into that next year but, or, or next month. But uh, any comments about that briefly? Uh, Y'all haven't gotten into that yet. Okay, I see the look. Um, and uh, Taylor Swift recently uh, had some problems with uh, artificial intelligence. And I understand that there is a bill out there called the Elvis Act that uh, hopes to address some of these issues. Anybody know anything about that or can Sam? Well, I'm, I'm the sponsor of it. Okay, um, good. <laughs> So, uh, I heard Elvis and he got excited. He's like, you know, that's what I was going to ask. No. You, you know you like Taylor Swift. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I actually saw Elvis in concert. Raise your hand if you ever saw Elvis in concert. Okay, there's a few of us. Okay, good. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, okay, yeah, the Elvis Act. Uh, 
I didn't come up. I didn't come up with the acronym. I, but people in government seem to love acronyms. So it's Ensuring Likeness Voice Image Security Act. So that's how they came up with the uh, with the acronym. No, it's it's really pretty simple. And uh, obviously, a lot of conversations about AI and technology and where that's all going. Some of it is very exciting. Uh, some of it is very scary. And uh, artificial intelligence can, can do things that are probably going to improve our lives in a lot of ways, but they can be detrimental as well. It's already in statute in Tennessee that, that your image, name, and likeness is protected, meaning it cannot be used for profit without your permission. So we have legislation that simply adds voice to that because obviously we are the recording capital of the world, uh, the music capital of the world, right here in Tennessee, and you can literally use artificial intelligence to say, uh, I'm gonna have Taylor Swift, um, use Taylor Swift's voice to sing someone else's song, and you won't know that it's not Taylor Swift. I mean, it's, it's that accurate, and that people could put that out there and sell it, market it, and make money off of it. So we've worked uh, for months with the Recording Industry Association of America, uh, and a lot of our music folks uh, here, I have it on notice in committee uh, this coming week, um, and it's something that, that we need to do. If, if you're in the music business, and we got a lot of folks right here in Williams County, that's how they make their living, is uh, either as an artist or a producer or a songwriter, a musician, and and when they create that magic and they create that art, that is their product. It's no different than if you make a widget and you sell it. And so um, they sh they should be protected in that in that regard. So very excited about that legislation. Two or three other quick things here. Uh, the governor proposed seventy one million dollars for a new state park somewhere. Do we know where that's going to be? David, my understanding is it's four or five that he talked about, and uh, he didn't tell us the details during the State of the State address, but I think that's great. Um, um, I'm all for putting money into our state parks. They are unbelievable. We go to them all the time, and, uh, and it, it's just uh, a great investment for our future. I wish there was more money we could put in. Next question, Sam, is for you. You decided not to run for re-election. Re Why not? Um, well, uh, <laughs> these hard questions, Dave, that you give us. <laughs> no, uh, it, eight years has been good. I, I will be hitting the seven zero mark. Uh, so what? So what? Okay. And, um, but, it, it, you know, I always believed, I, I've been blessed my whole life. I mean, uh, Pam and I will be married 50 years in August. Um, I lived the life that I wanted to do since I was, can ever remember as leading soldiers. That was, it, it would never be better than that. And then I get up there and I found a sense of camaraderie and friendship and purpose in the General Assembly that I've not felt since I've been in the Army. But I really am one that believes one door closes, another one opens. And um, it's just, uh, it's been a humbling experience. Um, it, and it just, I met some of the finest people I've ever met in my life up there. And, but I'll never forget the first month, I couldn't believe I was there. And after that, I couldn't believe some of them were there. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, again, just some incredible friends. And, and the people I work with, uh, it, you know, that represents the industries up there. They are trusted advisors. They care about our state, our people. Uh, they want to make Tennessee strong. Um, 
and and again working again you know Jack and I may disagree on a few issues but he has been a a just a source of knowledge I always like for him to go first because nobody explains it better than Jack and uh, from the very beginning and uh, and I look at our other elected officials out here has been with me and it was a tough start so but I, anyway this I, is not your last show so uh, but anyway, it, it's he was just, just wanted to make sure you weren't running for Congress, Sam, and that was that was what he was trying to get. I was going to ask that. But, uh, the uh, um, and if you want to wait till your final show, legislative show of the year, to answer this question, but have you got any advice for your successor? Any advice from or whoever succeeds you in that seat? Uh, yes, come home each night. Okay, don't stay in Nashville. <laughs> okay. There you, there you have it. Mayor Moore, have you got any uh, questions for these guys? You've got two minutes. So. I think the question I would ask is the uh, proposal to limit the or cap property tax. I feel like um, there are a lot of checks and balances already that make sure what we're doing. I have concerns that uh, if uh, it is capped, then that puts us in a position that we have to raise property tax every single year. And also just our planning process where we're working on our budget starting in January and finishing up in June. You don't know what you're going to have to do until uh, later in that period of time. And I have concerns that it could threaten a AAA credit rating and also worry about our ability to continue to improve roads, and many of them are state roads, by the way. So uh, love to hear your comments on that. Well, uh, and I agree, Mayor. Um, you know, we don't want Washington telling us how to do our tax structure in Tennessee. And I've always been a big believer in local control, and I don't think the state of Tennessee should tell our counties how to do their business. If our if our local citizens are not happy with the tax rate, they, they vote for county commissioners and aldermen. Okay, that's I think that's the way to deal that. But I agree with you about the threat to our AAA bond rating, and uh, and again, I, I I will oppose that legislation if it should come ever make it to the House floor. Well, I, I'll I'll chime in. We're so blessed here in Williamson County. Uh, the, the way our county is managed from a fiscal standpoint, the communities, Franklin, Brentwood, Fairview, Spring Hill, Thomas Station, I mean, we, they, Nolansville, they do, they do a re really, really good job at just some of the best managed local governments that there are. Um, and it's something we face frequently. Um, there have been some communities in our, in our state that um, have, um, voted for fairly significant property taxes that caused people to lose their homes. I, I have concerns about the, this particular pr proposal. Um, we've had a lot lengthy conversations with our comptroller about it, and he has concerns about it. Uh, our constitution pre prevents us from impairing a contract, and anytime you or Williams County issues a bond, that bond is uh, part of the contract is your unlimited ability to tax in order to service that debt and capping that through some type of legislation could result in impairment of that contract. So there are a lot of issues relative to that legislation. So, but we'll stay in touch if uh, it has not been put on notice. Uh, it's not moving at this at this juncture. Um, if, if it does, obviously I'll be in touch. We, we, we will be in touch with, with all of you to see what the impact would be. 
Well, I, part of the argument I've heard is that well, all, a whole bunch of other states do it, and I'm concerned that a lot of our legislation is modeled after other states. Tennessee is its own state, just like Williamson County is its own county and Franklin's own city. So, uh, gotcha. Tom Lawrence always has a good question. Uh, and I think we got time for one more quick one, Tom. What What is your uh, question of the day? My question's for you. <laughs> you regret asking him. <laughs> Where's Gino? Gino had a previous engagement to speak. Does anybody know? Kel, what was it? He's, he's been here once. So we'll give him credit for that, and we'll we'll uh, smack his knuckles for for not showing up. But uh, uh, we would love to have him here. Uh, Todd's been really good about Todd Warner has been good about coming here. Uh, Senator Hensley, understandably, coming from Hohenwald at this time of day is uh, a, a high high bar, but he actually did have an event in Murray County. So. Um, uh, Cal, just make sure uh, Gino Bulzo is aware of this date for the next couple of months. So we get on the calendar first, okay? That uh, That's all we have this morning. We've got a lot of people that uh, work hard to make this uh, event come together. Uh, I suggested to Cal that we put them up on a graphic in front of you because just mentioning the name of these uh, entities at the end of the show is, is really not enough because between financial support and media support, uh, this would not happen near as uh, effectively. But AT&T, the Lion Leadership Group, who is the um, franchisee for McDonald's for most of the local fran mo most of the local McDonald's restaurants, WCTV, of course, uh, uh, Creed, you've. Uh, you're here every time uh, early, and we appreciate that. Vanderbilt University, Lynn Maddox uh, is, is one of our friends and is here almost every time. And Derby, your crew at the Williamson Herald, we appreciate your help in getting the word out and, uh, and, and reporting what's been said. Tom's uh, at WKM, you and Tommy and Linda, uh, we appreciate your support as well and just getting this uh, out there where the people of Williamson County can, can listen in. And, uh, and last but not least, uh, Columbia State giving us this, uh, the use of this facility. Uh, they've got a beautiful campus here, and we want to help them show it off to as many people as we can. And uh, we just uh, appreciate uh, all the staff here that uh, makes that happen. The, um, um, have I covered everyone? Everyone but the chamber staff. Cal uh, McDowell's the quarterback on this effort. Uh, Matt Largen and Jenna and uh, Nancy Conway and a lot of other people uh, contribute to this effort and uh, make sure I'm aware of things that uh, we probably need to uh, get involved in. Uh, we do like to have questions from the audience. There was so much to pack in this morning, I didn't leave any time for that because we were just... Um, I wanted to give them time to explain as much as possible about these issues, but hopefully next next month and the month after we will have time for questions from the audience. And Kel, um, I think our next date is March 22nd. Uh, uh, 
Yeah, Good Friday's on the 29th, so we will meet a week early uh, next month. We'll put March 22nd on your calendar, and we will look forward to having you back. Thank you very much. and appreciate your participation.